Take your Bibles and turn with me once again today to Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Specifically, we'll be looking at chapter, or verse 17 today, but I want to read both of those that we've looked at over the last several weeks to get it in context with where we're going with this today. The Apostle Paul has given us an introduction to, uh, to this book. Uh, to his, where he's going to go. As he started out in, in 1 through 7, and he talked about the gospel. And he said it's, he gave us its origin, its confirmation, its, its substance, its purpose, its scope, and its goal. The, the obedience of faith for Gentiles and, and Jews alike around the world. And he's, he's kind of laid out what, his, what the whole under, his understanding of this gospel really is. Then we saw him talk about his desire to go to Rome and how he's praying for Rome and and lifting them up, even though he had never met them, never been there. They were not a church that he had planted. But here, here we have a man whose heart and passion is to get to Rome. Uh, maybe a little bit like Jacob's heart and passion to get to Dublin. You know, he, he went there, he, he heard about what's going on, he's seen what's going on, he wanted to go. And so Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to impart to them uh, the truth of the gospel. He wanted to teach them. He wanted to be involved in ministry with them there in Rome. Then he came to verses 16 and 17. And he made this statement, which is kind of the overarching statement of the entire book, if you will, the thesis statement of his entire letter to the church at Rome, when he said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or the Gentile. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, or as King James says, from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That is a passage, I almost hear the Apostle Paul writing those verses with, with a tone of excitement, with, a, with an attitude of joy, with an attitude of excitement, saying, this is what has come to realization in my life. This is what I have discovered. This is what God has shown me. This is what God has revealed to me by His Holy Spirit in absolute truth as He comes to these things. And, and He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He talked about why he might have been. The gospel is always an offense to those who hear it. The gospel says that God will do for us something that we cannot do for ourselves. The gospel says that you cannot be right with God of your own merit, your own effort, your own uh, accomplishments, but, but it's God's work in your life through his word, by his Holy Spirit. So, so the apostle Paul says, I, I've come to this point, I am not ashamed of this gospel because I recognize that this gospel... This gospel that has been revealed through the prophets, through the scriptures in olden days, this, this gospel which was fore, uh, foretasted, if you will, in the Old Testament. And some of the passage we, we read this morning in our scripture is kind of a, a foretaste of the full bloom of the gospel that the Apostle Paul is going to lay out for us in this whole book. But he said, I, I want you to know, I know now that this gospel, in it is the power of God. The, the power to change lives, the power to move us out of death into life, out of darkness into light. In this gospel is the power of God, God alive, God working, God dwelling in believers to take the gospel to other parts of the world. This gospel is the power of God for salvation. I mean, if you had stopped there, that would have been pretty good, you know? If you just stop there and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation, period, to all who believe, period, that would have been pretty good. But he goes on to say, for in it, 
For in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous, quoting the prophet Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. There's one little word there that if we're not very careful, we will just skip right over. Because it comes after the statement, the righteousness of God, and, and we, we, we have a tendency maybe to dwell on that and think about that, and that is the important point of this sermon today, is the righteousness of God, and we'll get there. But I want you to understand the importance of the word that follows that, the importance of the word revealed. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is declared, proclaimed, opened up, revealed that we might see it clearly and fully, maybe for the first time in a person's life, certainly for the first time in history, where it is absolutely, totally in full bloom. We, we know that Habakkuk said, for, the, for the, the just shall live by faith, or the righteous shall live by faith. We we know that that was back in the prophet Habakkuk under the Old Covenant. And Habakkuk understood that faith was the key to it. But it wasn't until the gospel was totally in bloom with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection when we saw that atonement accomplished on the cross that now we see clearly when the Spirit opens our eyes the very righteousness of God. It is revealed. You see, the righteousness of God that Paul is talking about here is not something you will discover. It's not something that you will think about, dwell on, examine, and, and come to some kind of conclusion in your own mind, in your own heart. Yeah, this is what the righteousness of God is all about. This is a righteousness of God that requires revelation. It requires being revealed. Isn't that the truth of all spiritual truth of the Scripture, though? When you think about it, at the very heart of Christianity, at the very basics of Christianity, is the concept of revelation that it has been revealed by God. You know, the atheists want to tell us somehow we sat around and just thought God up. The atheists want to say, well, you know, somehow we, we, we thought this through and we said, God, it'd be good to have a God like this and have a God like that and have him doing this and that and, and we'll make him holy and righteous and all of that. We'll just have this God that is a superpower above all powers. Why, why, we'll just imagine a God and we've imagined him and created him in our own image. I want you to know something. If we had come up with a God of our own de de devices, if we had thought it through, planned it out, and said, here's how we're going to present God, it would not be the God of the Bible. It wouldn't. It would not be the one that reveals himself in his holiness, in his righteousness, and in his gospel that we see. If we had decided we're going to come up with this, and if the apostles had said, let's all get together and plan how we're going to talk about who God is, it would not be the God that is revealed in Scripture be like us he'd like the things we like dislike the things we like we'd, we'd just get along really well with him you know he'd be a friend he would be he'd be somebody that we could just kind of pal around with who who wouldn't be too judgmental would be extra specially loving you know it just he would just be very uh, uh, accommodating of however our life was without any kind of declaration for a need of change no 
The gospel reveals to us the righteousness of God in all his glory and the righteousness of God that changes lives and sets you free. That's why I titled this sermon, The Verse That Sets You Free. Because it really is in the, in the context, in the understanding of verse 17, that we find freedom. Freedom from sin, freedom from self, freedom from guilt, freedom from, from, from everything that holds us in bondage in this world and sets us free to worship Him and glorify Him and, and honor Him in our lives. Something that by nature we do not do. It's because He revealed it. He opened our eyes to see it by His Spirit. He, he has shown us that glory in the gospel. So revelation is very important. The concept that He revealed it is, is absolutely important to, to understand what it means to come to Christ, what it means to have faith in Christ, what it means to believe the gospel. The whole idea of it is revealed is absolutely at the heart of Christianity. Don't miss that. I don't think you were smart enough or, or clever enough to, to come to that understanding. It has been revealed by Almighty God. And that's important. But Paul said the thing that is revealed in the gospel, for in it is revealed the righteousness of God. Now what in the world is Paul talking about when he says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed? Now, that's been looked at in several different ways through the years as, as, as it has been interpreted and commentators have dealt with it in, in different areas and different ways. But the, the three most popular I want to talk about in just a minute. And to be honest with you, none of the three are in error. All three of them have a, a, a little bit, or the first two have a little bit of, of the right understanding, but they don't go far enough. It's in that third one, I think, that we find what Paul is talking about here. The first one is simply that, that, God, that Paul is talking about the righteousness of God as his divine attribute or quality. And certainly we believe he's a righteous God. When Isaiah saw God sitting high and lofty and lifted up on his throne in that, in that vision in the temple in the year that King Uzziah died, we heard the seraphim surrounding the throne of God. And what were they saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. It could very well have been they would have said, Righteous, righteous, righteous is the Lord God. His holiness and His righteousness are His attributes that bring His glory. And let me tell you, there's no doubt that the Scripture is very clear, Old Testament and New Testament law and gospel, that God is a righteous God. God is righteous. No doubt about that. Matter of fact, that was Luther's dilemma. When, when Luther came to, the, to, the, to this passage in his pre-discovery days, if you will, he came to this and he said, yes, I, I know that God is righteous. God is holy. I know that God is perfect in all his attributes. I know that that God demands that we be that way, that God says, be holy even as I am holy, that God says, these are my standards. It's not that you can live up to something on the curve. It's that you must be holy even as I am holy. And Luther saw that and he despaired. He, he recognized that he could never do that. He, he could never be what God demanded in the law. 
He could never be what God demanded in the Old Covenant or the New Covenant, this idea of holiness in and of himself. It wasn't that he didn't try. In our church history class, we talked about how Luther spent hours and hours in his, in his little cubicle, his little bedroom, uh, dorm room, whatever you want to call it, and he agonized, and he agonized over his own sin. He would go to his priest, and he would confess hour after hour after hour to the point that finally his main confessor said, listen, Martin, don't come back until you got something really real to confess. But Luther recognized that everything was real. Every sin was against God. Every thought that was displeasing to God was against God. And he struggled with that. And it was his dilemma that the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. And he is not there. And every one of us, at one time or another in our life, if we have come to Christ, probably came to that point of saying, here's a righteous God who is demanding of us things that we cannot achieve. So, so the first way to look at this is the righteousness of God that is revealed is his attributes and his character. I don't think that's what Paul specifically has in mind here, but it's certainly true. God is a righteous and a holy God. The second way some have looked at it and said that this righteousness of God is his divine activity, his saving intervention on behalf of his people, that, that, that God's righteousness is at work in the world to draw men and women to faith in Christ and to, to show them who he is, that we might see him in his glory and that we might come to him. And certainly that's not wrong. But I think it's that third thing that the apostle really has in mind as we, as we come to this passage. And when he says, for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. He, he's talking about the gospel has revealed the righteousness of God that is a divine accomplishment. A divine work that is a divine achievement in men and women's lives. That, that's what the, the, the anthem that the choir sang this morning at my request. I, I threw a curve to them, short notice, uh, for midweek and said, please sing that today, clothed in the righteousness of Christ alone. What, what, what Paul, I think, is thinking of here and is, is in this, this righteousness of God that is a righteousness from God is being revealed. He talks about that in, in chapter 10, verse 3, which we'll look at in a year or two as we get to it. But, but he's ta- you know, it, it, he talks about this righteousness that is from God that changes our lives, that sets us free, that does in us and for us what we could not do for ourselves at all. God's righteousness is a gift. He talks about that in in chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, which is offered to faith, which is chapter 3, verse 22, that we can have and enjoy even in this life. Not making us perfect. Not making us righteous in the sense of, a, of an innate righteousness that we just always live without sin. We do still sin. But a righteousness that is imputed to us, that is added to our account, that is credited to us, that is not our own. And that's an important thing to understand if you're going to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, he talked about that at some other places. Do you remember in Philippians chapter 3? I tell you, Just turn over there with me for a minute. In Philippians chapter 3, we've talked about this passage before on on several occasions in years gone by. My new Bible pages don't want to turn right. 
Philippians chapter 3, the apostle says these words. Well, I, I was going to use just 8 and 9, but let's look at starting in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He starts out by saying, listen, here's what a believer is. A believer, a Christian, is someone who doesn't put confidence in their own flesh, their own ability, their own righteousness to be able to earn some kind of favor with God. We are the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in the glory in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. And then he gives his little pedigree. He says, though I might have reason, I myself might reason, have a reason for confidence in the flesh. If anyone thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the, of the people of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness that is under the law, blameless. Now, I could ask you, anybody who wants to say, I fit that much blamelessness, just raise your hand this morning. I hope no one would raise their hand. Paul says, I worked hard at religion. I worked hard at being the best that I could be. I, I worked hard at, at following the law at every point, every iota, not letting anything at all cause me to stumble. I really thought I had it together, Paul said. I, I even persecuted the church. That's how much I wanted to serve God. I said, God, those people are, are fighting against the law of Moses. They're fighting against the temple. They're fighting against the traditions of our fathers. I will just persecute them. I'll throw them in prison. I'll, I'll stone them. I'll, I'll, I'll do anything it takes to put an end to this little sect called Christianity. Then what happens? Paul on his way to Damascus to do that very thing is struck down by the very presence of Christ. And, and he's knocked down, and he goes blind, and he sees this bright light, and he, and he cries out, who are you? And he says, Saul, Saul, why are, you, why are you persecuting me? And he says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus Christ, the one you are persecuting. And at that point, Paul, Saul, as, they, as he was called then, and that's always been his name, it didn't change, but Saul saw something and then went on in and was instructed a little further by the Lord himself a little later on in what it meant to have a real righteousness. And so the Philippians, he says that. He said, I had all this credited to my account. People would look at me and say, Saul is a blameless Pharisee. He does not violate the law. He obeys it to the letter. But then in verse 7, but whatever gain I had, whatever I accomplished, whatever I added to my account as a Pharisee, as a moralist, as a religionist, whatever I added to my account, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. 
Wow. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth or value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Religious authority, religious prestige, probably even monetary value, possessions. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I count those things that I had that were so valuable to me as rubbish in order that I may, be, that I may gain Christ. And listen at this. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that comes from my good works, that comes from my religious heritage. I, I don't have a righteousness now of my own, but I have a righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. I think that's the righteousness that the Apostle Paul has in mind in, in this passage in Romans chapter 1 when he says, For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God, the righteousness that is from God, is revealed. It's shown. It's, it's, it's opened up in ways that it had never been opened up before. In the Old Covenant, it was You've got to try to live up to the law. Now, we know that from Abraham to Habakkuk to Isaiah to Jeremiah, on and on, the, the issue is always faith in the coming Messiah. The issue is always the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk made it very clear, which Paul quotes here. But, but the point is that they saw it as here is a righteous God, and we are not righteous enough, but he's given us law, and if we'll just stick with that law as best we can and do the best we can, maybe we can attain to it. Paul says, there is no righteousness of any value in the law. There is no righteousness of any value in your own good works, your own, your own attempts. It's righteousness that comes by faith in Christ alone. It's righteousness that he clothes us in, that he covers us in. Listen, for most Christians living in the 21st century, most people living in the 21st century, when you talk about what Christ did on the cross, they want to, they want to talk about, it, and rightly so at one level, that in that, my sins have been forgiven. But so often, it's viewed in our generation, in our day, as our sins are forgiven, the, the slate is wiped clean. Now, we got to keep it clean. You know, we come to Christ, and He forgives us for all of our sins that have been committed. He, he, he wipes the slate clean. Tabula rosa, it is, it, rosa, it is now clean, blank. Now, we've got to be sure that nothing else gets written on it. And that's not the gospel. 
Yes, he forgives our sins, and the Scripture makes clear that he forgives our sins not just in the past, but in the present and the future, that all of our sins are covered by the blood of Christ when we come to him by faith. But the real key to this thing is, is that not only are we now forgiven our sin, but we are now having added to our account, credited to our account, uh, given to us the righteousness of Christ, in which we're clothed. The righteousness that comes from God, not on the basis of works, achievement, but by faith and faith alone. Listen, I, I've, got a, I've got a picture hanging back there in my study. Of, of It's entitled, Martin Luther Discovers Justification by Faith Alone. And he's standing there over that desk that, with the chain Bible in front of him, and he's got this pensive look as though, wow, that's what it's all about. And, and I, I think Luther was so set free, so... So, so set alive by what he discovered in the righteousness that was not just looking at a righteous God. He is there, but a righteousness that comes from him to me. So that when I stand before the righteous judge, I stand there clothed in Christ and his righteousness. It's that righteousness that comes from God that gives us the ability to live Coram Dale. We've been talking about all year. It's that righteousness that comes from God that, that gives us that entrance to stand before His throne, to live in His presence, to live under His authority, and live for His glory. It's not what we do. It's what He does in us and through us in setting us free. Or that verse that, that Brother Daniel quoted during the midst of that song, that great verse out of 2 Corinthians 5.21, where Paul says this, he said, listen, he made him, God made Christ, Jesus. He made him who knew no sin, he was perfect, sinless, never sinned, tempted as we are, yet without sin. He, God, made him, Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. Our sins born on the cross of Christ. Our sins forgiven because he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. Wow. But he didn't stop there. He said, so that we who are in Christ we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Paul says, I want you to understand this. I want you to know this as a believer. Here's where our security lies. Here's where our assurance lies. It's not in what we can do. It's not in us being able to, to keep it up once we've been given life. It's not that, that God saves us by grace and now we continue by works and continue by effort and try harder to be able to keep what God has given us. No, it, it is what Paul says here. It is the right, you are made the righteousness of God in him. It's, it's imputed, it's credited to you for your sake. And for his glory. And that's why he says in Romans, he says, and it is in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, for faith to faith. 
what in the world does he mean there? Faith to faith. And then quoting Habakkuk. I, I think there's a lot of ways to look at that. But, but I think quite literally, the Apostle Paul is saying that which is revealed in the, the, the gospel and offered to us is literally out of faith into faith or from faith to faith. So, some have said, one said it was, uh, one commentator says, from the faith of God who makes the offer to the faith of men who believe it, who receive it. It's his gift. It's from God's faith, or better, God's faithfulness, his faithfulness in the cross, his faithfulness in his son, to, to faith, from, or some see it as a, a sense of evangelism, from the faith of one to the faith of the other, as the gospel scatters and spreads, alluding to, to its spreading across the faith, the, the face of the earth. Or he may just be alluding to faith's growth from one degree to another. That yes, we faithed Christ. We trusted Christ at salvation. But as we grow, as we mature, our faith goes from faith to a whole new dimension of faith. Or it may just be talking about the primacy of faith. That, that from faith to faith is from first to last. It's all about faith. It's all about trusting Him. It's all about walking in Him and with Him. You know, one of the real struggles that we have, even in this world, even being clothed in the righteousness of Christ, is we still will sometimes have the struggle of sin, won't we? We still struggle with that. I do. And I really believe that if we just boil it right down to the very essence of the problem, we fall into sin, we sin in our bodies, we sin in our life, for one reason, we don't trust Christ. We don't have faith in Him for that moment, for the protection in that moment. And there's a sense in which at that one moment we love that sin more than we love Christ. And we, we struggle with that throughout our life. People will reject Christ because they just can't trust Him. But Paul is saying, when, and he's going to really unfold this in chapters 3 and 4, He's going to show us that that righteousness of Christ, that righteousness from God, is to change your life. I love it when people come to talk to me and say, you know, I'm really struggling with a Christian life. Really? What do you mean? Well, I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with disobedience. I'm struggling with... I, I, and they almost sound like the Apostle Paul in Romans 7. I find myself doing what I don't want to do and not doing what I know I should do. I'm just really struggling. And, and my, my answer always surprises them. And I say, praise God. They look at me like I'm crazy. Because you see, an unbeliever doesn't struggle. An unbeliever enjoys the sin. An unbeliever enjoys the moment and could, couldn't care less what God says about it. But a believer struggles. But what happens is, in that moment, we're, you've got to learn to trust Him, not trust yourself. You've got to learn to walk in Him, not walk in yourself. You've got to learn to depend on the righteousness that is from Him, not your own self-righteousness. Not what you think you can make or you can build. I think that's why Apostle Paul in talking about the spiritual warfare and says the, 
the, one of the pieces of the armor is the breastplate of righteousness. It's not self-righteousness. It's his righteousness that clothes us and protects us in the midst of spiritual battle. What a glorious truth that is. Remember what Martin Luther said about this whole book. He said the chief purpose of this book is to break down, pluck up, and to destroy all wisdom and all righteousness of the flesh. The purpose of Paul writing this book is to get our eyes off ourselves and on him. To, to get our gaze upon Christ for his glory and for our good. To get our focus upon him. Yeah, problems abound around us. They're always around us. But, but we can't focus on those. We can't gaze upon those and just kind of every now and then say, oh God, this is a mess. Get me out of it. But our focus and our gaze and our glory and our, our pursuit and our desire shall be upon him who is our righteousness. The problems will be there. But by his grace and by his righteousness, we will prevail. If our focus it's where our focus has to be. So Paul says, For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's your breath. It's your nourishment. It's what gives you life. It's, it's faith that, that feeds that trust in Christ. It, it's, it's the righteous shall live by faith, the one who are in right relationship with God because of his work in your life. The righteous shall live by faith. And, and will you sometimes blow it? Yeah. Will you sometimes have to confess, I just really don't get it sometimes? Yeah. It doesn't affect the righteousness that is added to your account. We'll talk more about that when we get into Romans chapter 3. As imputed to you. Paul starts out this book by saying, I want you to understand the righteousness of God and the power of God are revealed in the gospel. And they're revealed in the gospel so you may see it, so you may know it, so that it will be a reality in your life. Let's pray together. You cannot earn your own righteousness. You cannot achieve your own righteousness. You cannot be moral enough, good enough. It is the righteousness that comes by faith from God through His Son. It's the righteousness that is revealed by God in His Word, in His Son, by His Holy Spirit.
It is a Trinitarian revelation of righteousness. There's a powerful revelation of righteousness. And it is a righteousness that will set you free. And I invite you to Christ this morning. God is opening your eyes to see your need for a Savior and your heart to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way, the truth, and the life. Come to the Father. I invite you to Christ. Not to a church. Not to a denomination. Not to a preacher. But to Christ. I invite you to trust Him where you sit. Trust Him where you stand in a moment. Cry out to Him. Oh Lord, I, I need your grace. I need your mercy. But I encourage you to do that even if you're a believer for 30, 40, 50 years. Because that's what the gospel is for you today. The righteousness of Christ revealed in your life. Father, your word is truth. And you made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might become the very righteousness of God. Father, deal with us right now in righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing together, Thy great is thy faithfulness.